Welcome to the Finding Sustainability Podcast. This is Stefan Partilo. Okay, for all you parents, parents-to-be, and those considering the prospects of having both children and an academic career, today's podcast is with Kirsty Nash. Kirsty is the founder of Academic Life, that's spelled A-K-I-D-E-M-I-C, Life, an initiative developed by academics for academics, empowering parents to navigate life and academia. After a tough introduction to parenting herself, which she describes in the podcast, Kirsty founded Academic Life with the aim to provide a diverse, accessible, and inclusive perspective on navigating academia with kids and other caring responsibilities. Academic Life is advised by a multidisciplinary team of parents who either work within academia or are health and well-being professionals. So please welcome Kirsty Nash. It would be great to hear a little bit more about your personal background um, as an academic. Uh, maybe some a brief history of you know where you did your education and how you got to where you are now and then transition into more your personal life and how that led to this academic life project. I started out doing oceanography with marine biology for my undergrad at Southampton University in the UK, having always wanted to be a marine biologist pretty much since I was 11 and I saw someone in an aquarium diving and I thought that's that's what I want to do with my life. And then when I finished my, my undergraduate degree, I was pretty bored of being cold and doing field work on rough oceans and getting wet, uh, getting seasick. So I decided to do my master's in the tropics. So I moved to Australia to James Cook University and I did a master's in tropical marine ecology, focusing on coral disease. And then once I'd finished that, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. I was struggling to find work. There was too many marine biologists around and not enough jobs. And so I, I worked in other industries for a while uh, until I realized that actually this isn't what I wanted to do. I really wanted to get back into science. So then I got a job working in the Seychelles for a conservation project teaching volunteers how to do coral and fish surveys. And, and that data was then used by the Marine Park Authority, because they didn't have the manpower to be doing baseline surveys themselves. So I did that for a year and a half and really enjoyed it, and then wanted a, a new challenge. So I then went and worked for a company called Seamester, which runs semester at sea programs in the Caribbean and, and also in other, other locations around the world. So I worked for them for a year and a half doing some trips in the Caribbean and then doing a trip from Cairns in northern Australia to Thailand. And that was that was an interesting challenge. I, I realized that although I knew a lot about marine biology and oceanography, which is what I was teaching, I didn't necessarily know the best ways to teach skills like critical thinking and writing and, and, and things like that. So I then came back to Australia and did a master's in education. And while I was doing that, uh, I did that part-time online. I worked on a, for a whale shark boat, taking people out on whale shark trips, which was it was very nice, but it's the sort of thing you can only do for a certain amount of time. And uh, it was quite by chance. We was then traveling around Australia and had stopped to see some friends in Townsville. And they said, oh, someone's looking for a research assistant. So I applied for that job. And it was supposed to be a six-month placement. And then it became a year and a half. And then the, the guy I was working for said, well, why don't you do a PhD? So then I did a PhD. And and then he offered me a postdoc, so I did a postdoc. Uh, and all of that was in coral reef ecology and 
functional ecology of reef fish and, and looking at how we can use information on functional ecology to answer questions about coral reef resilience. And then when I came to the end of my, my first postdoc, I decided I wanted maybe a, a different challenge and so got a job at the Centre for Marine Socioecology in Hobart at the University of Tasmania, which is an interdisciplinary virtual centre that brings together lawyers and economists and marine scientists and governance experts and so on to address different questions around use of our ocean, not just fisheries, but also multiple uses there across energy and um, industry. And that really was my sort of move into more interdisciplinary work and looking at the health of marine ecosystems more generally, not just on coral reefs, but also trying to look at how the health of marine ecosystems can then influence human well-being and the trade-offs and synergies between those two things. Did you find the transition between a more disciplinary-oriented education in marine biology and marine ecology now into a more interdisciplinary institute? Was that difficult for you? Did you have any challenges? Oh, it, it definitely was a very steep learning curve. I think I, I felt like I'd started my PhD all over again. You know, I felt like when I finished my PhD and I did my first postdoc, I, I had a handle on what I was doing. And then to start working on a project that required such a, a broader array of, of knowledge and interactions with people working in different disciplines who had different perspectives and different approaches, that was that first year was, was a, a tough transition. Yes. And what, can you give us an example of some of the work that you're doing now or maybe an example of a specific project? So one of the things I've done has been looking at the planetary boundaries framework from a marine perspective because a lot of the work that's been done on planetary boundaries so this is the idea that there are limits um, whether that's to do with climate or biodiversity or the, the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus we're using a lot of that research has been in the terrestrial sphere and so I was looking at if we accounted more for marine ecosystems how would that influence our our impression of how close we were to crossing boundaries that we we didn't want to cross right would you is most of your work grounded empirically so are you doing are you out in the field collecting a lot of empirical data or are you using secondary data and doing synthesis work so my first sort of first half of my academic work right up until i finished my first postdoc was very field work based and then this position has been is very synthesis uh, looking at large data sets that has also been a, a learning curve having come from you know, my 21 data points that I collected myself and I knew exactly all the idiosyncrasies of the data to suddenly having a, a database with thousands of lines of data and having to spend time to really understand what the advantages but also the flaws in those data sets were and, and what the implications of that were for the sorts of questions that I could ask. Well, one of the reasons I, I contacted you is because you've started this new project or initiative called Academic Life, which is about res sharing resources for, for parents in academia. Um, how did you, at some point you, you had your child, how did that process for you lead you to starting this project? So I, we moved to Hobart in 2016 and I got pregnant at the end of 2016. So I was in a, a new city where I don't have any family. I was just sort of getting a few contacts and settling in at work. And then I had my baby and I was very naive about the challenges involved in having a baby, particularly when you have no support network. And so I sort of, 
you know, six weeks after I ha- I'd planned that six weeks after I had my baby, I was going to go to my first conference and I had all these things lined up. And my, my mother had said she would come out and, and stay and help out. And I was like, no, 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 I don't need any help. It will be fine. And part of that was because I had these two parenting role models that I'd worked with previously who seemed to do everything uh, without breaking a sweat. And so I had this whole image of what was possible as a parent as, and as an ac- academic. And then my baby was born and the first few weeks were fine. And then I was diagnosed with postnatal depression. And I had a few months that were were pretty tough. Uh, my parents came out for a while to help out, but they could obviously only stay for so long. And I then got to the point where I really didn't want to be at home on my own with the with my daughter, just because I was worried about doing something wrong, or I was got very very anxious. And I got a lot of help in Hobart. They have amazing resources for parents who need assistance so they have these things called mother baby units where you can go and stay with your partner and with your child and they help you look after the baby and and answer all your questions and there's someone there 24 hours a day to um yeah answer any queries you have so there was that and then there's all these other health professionals available and when i sort of was coming out at the end of of that experience and I started talking to more parents working in academia and other places, including the two people who'd been my role models, I realized, first of all, that while I thought that I was the only person going through this, actually lots of people were going through it, but also that I'd been very lucky in the help that I'd received and that there were a lot of other people who had struggled on their own. Um, And the people who I thought were doing things and found things very easy, had actually just been hiding the fact that it was really quite tough. And because I'd had all this help and my colleagues, when I came back to work, were very helpful, I kind of felt that I had the opportunity to maybe pay some of that help forward. And I had the time and the opportunity to bring together some of the resources that I'd found useful, but also bring together some other resources that people were had forwarded to me or that I knew were out there and put them into one resource that parents and also other carers, so people who are caring for other family members who might be ill or whatever, can readily find the information available in one spot because there is a lot of help and a lot of advice out there for people who work in academic situations and have caring responsibilities. But it's so widely scattered that you don't have the time if you've already got family responsibilities and work responsibilities to be trawling the internet for this information. So it just seemed like a really useful thing to do to bring all the information together in one place. And we are creating some new content, like I have been interviewing people and, and trying to produce some content that is specifically targeted to particular pro- problems. But a lot of it is curated from other resources, other locations. And it really just is a way of providing help to other people because I got such great help. It's nice to be able to pass some of that help on to other people. Yeah, well, as a soon-to-be parent myself, I know there's many of us out there who are really going to appreciate this work. There's a couple of things I want to follow up that you mentioned in there, and one of them is this idea of, you know, what is unique for academic parents particularly? You know, what is unique about an academic career? 
which makes, for example, parenting a little bit more challenging than maybe in other careers. And one of the things you mentioned is that uh, a lot of academics are mobile in their careers. So I think also in your case, you had the situation where you were moving to a new city because you found some new work and that undermines your support network. What's your impression about some of the unique challenges for academic parents specifically? So I, I definitely think there are a lot of similarities across a whole wa- range of different jobs and sectors. I, I think that the things that are quite academia-specific are short-term contracts, so the need to constantly be looking for a job or having to move and, and, and relocation being a really central theme. So that doesn't just mean that you have this feeling of job insecurity. It also means that, like I found moving to Hobart, that you're in a new place with new people. You don't. Ne- you might even be in a new country, and you don't necessarily know um, who to ask for help, or you don't have that support network of friends and family who you can really lean on at a time when you, you, you do need that help. So I think that's that's definitely a key thing. I think another thing is that there is the expectation that you will travel, you'll go to conferences or you'll do field trips or research trips, workshops, things like that, which, um, you know, then you've obviously got to balance. Do you take your child with you? Do you leave them at home? If you leave them at home, who's going to look after them? If you take them with you, how much is that going to cost? And then um, if you if you don't do those things, are you then impacting on your success of your career? Are people going to kind of forget who you are? And there's that worry, I think, that if you're not out there doing these trips, are you sort of shooting yourself in the foot as far as your career is concerned? And and people don't necessarily know the answer to that. And so I guess the, the natural reaction is to worry. And so I, I think that there is resources out there to help people get a handle on how to kind of manage that that path but if you don't know where to find information you're sort of you know you're you know further forward i think the other thing is that there are obviously certain types of research that really aren't um, compatible with either being pregnant or having a small child whether it's field work to remote locations or for me it was diving and that was it wasn't certainly the central reason why I applied for this job in Hobart, but we had been thinking about having children and my field work before was very diving uh, based. Mm-hmm. And so, like, well, if, if I'm going to be working on a project where it requires diving and we also have, I also want to have children, how is that going to work? So um, I think that can be um, a concern. I think the other thing with, with academia is if you don't do the work, there's not necessarily going to be other people who are going to take up the slack. I mean, if you're in a good research team and you have good collaborators, then things can carry on while potentially you're on um, parental leave. But it's not that automatic that you go on parental leave and there's there's some cover for you that's going to do all the work for you. So I think that's another um, another challenge. So it's trying to stay competitive, but also really commit that time that you need to being with your family or being with your new baby and things like that. So I would say those are some of the, the key challenges that are maybe more unique to academia than to other jobs. Right. Yeah, you shared your, your powerful experience during 
the first few months? I mean, how important is it in your view that we, we talk more about some of the challenges that, that young parents are facing in academia and how important it is to realize that maybe your story is not so unique? Your experience was something that many different parents around the world are experiencing, not just in academia, but in, in all sectors. How important is, is it to you that we, we kind of open the door and talk about this message more openly? Oh, I, th- I think it's extremely important. And I think it's, it really goes against how we are kind of brought up as academics. I think as academics, you very much, much want to present this picture of being very accomplished and things going smoothly and having all the answers and being in control. And so I think it's very hard to then admit that maybe things aren't going quite to plan. And I certainly, for example, got got diagnosed with postnatal depression, didn't realize how common it is. You know, there's some statistics that it's one in 10 mothers get uh, postnatal depression. And so I felt I was embarrassed. You know, I certainly didn't want to talk about it. And I, I would go, I was part of this mother's group and I would go to these mother's group meetings and everyone would turn up looking really together. And I felt the fact that I just made it there was a massive achievement on my part. So I certainly wasn't going to admit that things were even more of a struggle than, than my appearance suggested. So I think it was only going through the process, realizing how common it was, and then meeting other people who were experiencing the same things, who all were, none of them were academics, but they all had those sorts of jobs where you require um, to be very proactive. You know, they all had careers. They were, they were people that I could relate to. And I suddenly realized that actually I'm not, it's not an embarrassing thing. It's just the way things turned out and that lots of people are going through this, but we're all the sorts of people who don't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. which is, is pretty sad because then the next person feels like they're alone and then the next person feels like they're alone rather than realizing that actually there's lots of people out there. Right. I think also, I think a lot of people find parenthood very hard, whether they have something like postnatal depression or not. I think it's a, it's a, it can be a tough time. And so, you know, I, I certainly don't want to give the impression that I think that if you don't have patient depression, it's easy because I, I don't think that's the case at all. Everyone can have their, their challenges and, and everyone has their challenges in different ways. Things that one person might find easy, the other person finds, can find very difficult. And it's only by talking about it can you, can you really feel that you're not alone. And I think that's another central message of the Academic Life website is I really want people to know that they're not alone. There's, yes, there's resources here, but there's also uh, a load of other people out there going through the same and that you're not the only person who's might be finding things a little bit challenging right now. Well, I want, I want to follow up on that in, in two parts. One is in your personal experience, did you have any training through your academic education through master's or your PhD programs? Or did you have any strong mentors who kind of guided you um, in the planning process before before the birth and during the pregnancy to, to prepare you? And then that's more from an individual perspective. And then you know, reflecting on that, have you seen now within academic life, any programs within academia out there who are focusing and, and giving resources about these issues out there? So my own experience, I was very lucky just about six months before I went on maternity leave, I joined the mentoring program within my institute. And I was paired up with a researcher who um, worked on totally different things to me. But she had um, a daughter at a similar sort of stage in her career, and had experienced some of the challenges of balancing work and, and home life. And she was 
the discussions we had were one of the things that kept me going through some of the bad, through some of the worst times, because I, I realized that she had got through some challenges as well and that I could too. So I think having that and having someone who was right here that I could call and say, am I, you know, am I unusual worrying about this? That was, that was a really useful thing to do. But I think part of going back to your sort of broader question of whether there's programs out there, I think a lot of universities now are really trying to improve their policies and, and structures to support parents and carers and, and a wider diversity of people at their universities. But I think a lot of places don't really know how to help their employees or their students. Um, I mean, there are, there are initiatives like the Athena Swan and, and the SAGE in Australia, which are about improving um, conditions for, for various demographics and, and supporting diversity in the universities. And I, I definitely think those are those are good initiatives, but I think sort of the practical on the ground gonna make a difference to this person today, I think a lot of universities don't know how to do that. And and although academic life isn't really directly addressing that right now, it's one of the things we would like to do in the longer term is come up with resources for institutions and, and organizations about how they can best look after their students and their employees. Right. Well, this leads into the next question I had, which is, can you give us an example or can you tell us a little bit more about some of the specific resources that you would like to develop within academic life? At the moment, I'm very much focused on tips for different groups. So we've just put out a set of resources, including a, an infographic that looks at tips to do with parenting during graduate school. Because I, I was sent an email by a, a graduate student here in Australia, who was wondering if there were resources out there to, to sort of really go through what were the challenges of balancing parenthood and graduate school and, and how you could address those challenges and where you could find help. And so I then went onto Twitter and I asked the sort of collective experience of, of academics out there, people who had gone through this experience at graduate school, what were the things they found most challenging? What were the things that they found most useful addressing those challenges? And so we just we just produced a, an information pack that I put on the the website mm -hmm. in the last couple of days and I would like to create a series of those with you know a, a summary but also an infographic so that people who don't have a lot of time because academics and parents don't have a lot of time that addresses some of those key challenges so whether it's career planning or um, if you want to go into the field with your ch child or children or family how best to go about it so I'm going to be working sort of towards that slowly over the next um, sort of six to, to 12 months. So that's sort of the immediate work. But I would like to have some resources, for example, for conference organizers, how they can best support parents and carers who are coming to conferences that need to bring children, you know, what do they need as far as childcare or breastfeeding rooms or access to a hotel that's right next to the conference center so that they can go back regularly through the course of the day things like that. And then, yeah, they, the ultimate will be, will be looking at a more sort of structural university level. What can, what can we do? And, and I, I'm not sure I can tell you what those resources will look like because I haven't really got to the point of, of investigating that. And, and I think that will require quite a lot of work to come up with something that's useful and general enough that it's not, that it will be useful to, to, to a wide range of, of organizations and, and contexts. 
because um, I think a lot of things that I'm aware of, you know, I have a sample size of one and I, I need to, to find out more information to be able to, to address it more usefully to, to a wide range of people. Yeah, well, I know all those resources are going to be really valuable. Another question I had was, how can these resources better enable women in, to pursue scientific careers where maybe in the past they have been facing more challenges because they didn't have the, the resources, the, the many different ones that you just mentioned, so it made it more difficult for them. So, you know, how, how much of this project is uh, empowering women to pursue scientific careers? I would say that the three audiences I have in mind for academic life is exactly those women who want to be empowered to have a great successful career as well as, as, as a good family life. And I'll, I'll get into on to answering the rest of your question for that in a second. The second is encouraging men to take their entitlements, because I think we're only going to have a more balanced set of opportunities for women and men if men are encouraged to take parental leave and, and take on more of the caring roles. And then the third will be looking at organizations and how organizations can support their employees. And as I said, that's something that's going to be down the track. But going back to women and how they can have a successful career and the resources that are available. This, I would say that um, 80% of the resources on the website are focused on that group of people. So people who are, for example, going on maternity leave and they want to stay competitive. So how can they plan for maternity leave? Or they're back from leave, but they're now applying for a grant. And how do they present their track record over that period to look competitive. And so one example is there is a link on the website to a uh, paper that was in science written by Emily Nicholson about how we can best account for leave in grant applications to show that this is how this is how much work I've done in this proportion of time. And so if I was working full time, this would equate to this much work. So mm-hmm. people can, can can show how competitive they are despite having had that leave. So there's resources like that because I, I really want it to be practical. There are there are stories about people's experiences, but there's also practical tools that people can use right now to make their life a little bit easier. One of the things I'm interested in and I've also been personally thinking about it is, is the time that I take off enables my partner to to have less work and burden on herself and to also think about what she wants to do going forward and, and to go back to work earlier, for example. How important is it from your experience that, that men really also engage in, in, in parenting in the early stages? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's so important for, for a number of reasons. First of all, just because I think it's a great opportunity for children to have you know, more time with their fathers and, and, and have that experience. So, for example, I'm very lucky. My husband uh, works four days a week, and so on a Friday, my daughter spends the day with her with him, and they get to spend some quality time together without me interfering and telling them that that isn't how they should be doing things. So, I think that's you know a, a really key reason why dad should have more chance to be involved. But I guess more to do with work is that I think women are only going to get more opportunities if taking leave is seen as the norm rather than just something that 50% of the workforce does. And so, you know, I think men men knowing what entitlements they have and feeling comfortable to take them is a really important thing. Because I think even in instances where men have the entitlement, they, you know, they have the right to, to take leave or they have the right to 
take days off to look after their children or whatever it is, often there's that feeling, I think, that, that they feel they shouldn't because it's not expected of them. They're expected to be at work. Whereas if they were female, the expectation is they would take that time off. So I think although women often can feel that they don't have the same opportunities to, as far as work's concerned, I think men often feel that they don't have the same opportunities as far as caring is concerned. And so I think we need to make it more mainstream for that to, to change. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, definitely. It makes me think, you know, how much of making real progress in this space is about providing the practical resources versus uh, making efforts to change the discourse about how we talk about the role of parenting, the role of different gender norms, for example, in, in parenting and in career orientation. You know, what in your view, what's the balance? Do we need more practical resources. Uh, that's obvious, but we also need to change how we talk about it and the social norms around parenting in general. Yeah, and I, and I think this is, this is something that I thought about quite a lot when I was designing the website. And the website is very much about sort of more practical tools side of things because that was something that I could do immediately. But I, I definitely think that culture is the most important thing. Um, you know, the, I don't, I, I'm not sure there are standard structures and initiatives that would work across organizations to support their employees. I think it's a lot more about having the sort of culture that encourages women to um, have successful careers and encourages men to ha take on more of the caring responsibilities. And often that can be as simple as having a culture where when something's organized, parents being asked, how can we organize this event to support you? you know, because there can be set policies like, you know, no meetings before nine o'clock or after three thirty, so that people can go and pick up their kids from school, and that might work for a lot of parents. But there might be some parents that can only make meetings outside that time because they have to look after their kids earlier in the day, and then their partner comes home and and, and looks after the kids later. So I think it's, I think that's why it's a lot more important to have a supportive culture that can enable people rather than worry about specific initiatives or specific policies that may or may not suit everyone yeah when I'm, I'm thinking about the different cultures of parenting especially being an international the, the differences between different countries and, and you've grown up in, in or at least you've had this parenting experience within the australian context how much of academic life is at the moment looking at australian context and, and what are your ambitions to kind of connect parents internationally in different countries and different cultures who, who may have different parenting experiences so there is definitely uh more of an emphasis on Australia in academic life just because of the networks I had and the information I had. But it's not, it's certainly not solely focused on Australia and, and that was never the intention. I think it would be, it would be useful to a small set of people who always worked in Australia if, if I just focused on Australia. But I think because so many people move and there are challenges that are universal across countries and is concerned, I, I thought it would be a pity just to focus on Australia. So, for example, on the advisory board, I've got um, most of the people are based in Australia, but I also have one researcher who's based in, um, in the UK and then another researcher who's based in Kazakhstan to try and get a handle on some of the issues that are in different countries. And the interviews that I've done 
once again, while a lot of them have been in Australia, recently I interviewed a um, a researcher who works in Ghana. So it's uh, definitely a work in progress. And at the moment, there are a lot of Australian resources, but it's not certainly not limited to Australia. And I'm hoping to make it more universal as time goes on and also make it useful to more useful to people who have potentially coincide uh, disadvantages. So it's not just um, that academic life supports people who look like me, you know, that are middle class white um, female academics, that maybe um, women of color, for example, are getting access to resources that are really useful to them. And, and that, that's definitely a, a sort of target for academic life is to make it as useful as possible to as wide a range of people as possible. You mentioned that you're doing interviews to kind of inform the, the process and the development of the Academic Life Project. What are the types of questions that you, you ask uh, during your interviews to, to parents? So it really ranges. I've, I've sort of done interviews on, I try and stick to a, to a single topic, but so for example, I've done interviews on achieving work-life balance and, and how you can juggle different, different aspects of your life to, to kind of achieve more of a balance. But it tends to be that whenever I do an interview, I try and ask about that person's personal experience, then things that they think more generally are useful, and then talk about what helps them or hinders them achieve these things in their home institution. Because I think it's really important to learn what institutions are doing really well in some instances. I certainly think there's a lot of success stories out there where universities and organizations that are, have come up with great initiatives that are really supporting their their employees and, and students. And so I think it's really important to share those success stories, but then also highlight what are the things that hinder success within those organizations. So potentially that we can get sort of cross-pollination of ideas to to address some of these, these um, problems. But it's through all of these questions, they're very, I try and be solutions focused. I really wanted to provide a website that is about providing help rather than necessarily focusing on all the things that are wrong. I think, it, yeah, it was quite important to me to be upbeat rather than, yeah, focusing on the problem so much. Yeah, I think that's clear from the website. When you see on it, it's very professional. It looks very inviting and very much like you want to engage with it, at least from from my perspective. Um, one of one of the other questions I had was: we often, when we talk about parenting and and building your career, it's it's often about mitigating the the negative aspects of it. It's often about kind of avoiding the challenges, and so they don't bring you down and they don't hurt your career. But what are some of the perhaps benefits? Uh, of having kids and going through what, which you can have as an academic parent, which which kids give to you to perhaps reinvigorate you and your work. So I think I guess there's a few things. One sort of quite specific one from my my experience. I would never have done this website if I hadn't gone through the experience I had gone through with my daughter. I think the experience of having postnatal depression, getting through that, feeling like I'd failed at something, but then you know, picking myself up and keeping going, it really gave me the, I guess, impetus to do something like academic life because academic life could have been a total disaster. When I when I started out with the idea, I I you know I wrote off for some funding, um, I wrote to the governor of Tasmania to ask her if she would be willing to host the launch, and 
you know, nothing was built at that stage. So it could have really fallen flat on its face. Um, but I think having struggled so much and come through it gave me the confidence to, to try something new and just see what happened. So I think that's, that's the first thing. Um, I would also say that having children can impact on your research in a really positive way. So I would say that my research previously was very ecology focused and it was focused on answering questions that I found interesting but didn't necessarily, I, I wasn't necessarily so worried about whether those questions were going to have a positive impact on those around me. And I think having children, having a child really got me more interested in the state of the world and how we could address some of these problems to ensure that, that my daughter's future is a, is a better future than it otherwise would be. So I think it's given me a new um, sort of angle on my research, a new inspiration. And also going back to when we were talking about doing interdisciplinary work and, and the fact it was a, a steep learning curve. At the beginning, I found that really hard. But since having my had my daughter, I actually find the challenges exciting rather than just hard work. So I think that is a is a really positive thing. And it's really sort of it reinvigorated my my research and the sorts of questions I ask. And then one thing that someone else told me that um, I think is actually one of the interviews on, on the website was having children forces you to slow down because you can't do everything quite as quickly as you once would have done. And that in itself is a benefit because you get to think about your research and your questions and your approach more deeply than you otherwise would have done because you've got that time that you wouldn't have if you had, you know, working full time, five days a week, no breaks. It gives you, it allows you to step back and, and get a new perspective on things. And that can really make your research um, maybe a little deeper or with a different angle to it than you, than you would have got otherwise. Wow, I think those are some pretty powerful, powerful statements. It makes me think that in this context, at least from your individual perspective and how that's helped you, how can, how can parenting and, and having better resources for parents help change the science system overall, for example, to help change some of, some of the, the hiccups uh, and the goals which people have within science to be more productive, to be more purposeful, to be more, for example, maybe problem and solution oriented about the state of the world today? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, I, I don't know. That's a big question. Um, I'm not sure this is this is entirely answering your question, but I'm, I'm, it's something it, it sort of struck me as you were saying that. I, as I said to you before, I, a lot of my research before I had a child was very ecology focused, and it, it was focused on my interests rather than necessarily broader broader scale impacts on on, on the world. Um, and Although I've always enjoyed what I did, I guess deep down I, I did feel slightly that the opportunities I had been given, because I, you know, I've been very lucky with the opportunities I've, I've had as far as education and, and going to university and, and travel and things like that, that maybe I should be doing something a little bit more um, worthwhile to a, to, a, to a wider range of people. Um, and I actually think that having these sorts of resources out there gives me a way of supporting other people who are doing more um, 
like who are doing really important research that potentially would have either not done as well or they may potentially would have dropped out of of academia because they don't have the support or the the um, resources to help them balance family life and, and and academia and you know that that loss of um, experience and knowledge and talent i think is a really sad thing about uh, academia and the fact that we lose women particularly as you go up the hierarchy mm-hmm. um so for me this is a really great opportunity i think to hopefully enable other people to stay in research and do exciting research and do research that's going to make a positive impact um and that i can be in a very very small way part of that so yeah i'm not sure that really answered your question but no it's a great it's a great reflection it makes me also think you know what is your view on what sustainability is maybe just from your personal perspective uh, at least from the description of your work that you gave us at the beginning certainly your work is is at least implicitly um, embedded in the kind of sustainability orientation you know how do you how do you view sustainability and and perhaps the role of, of having children and, and having children in an academic career from your perspective so i mean from a from a sort of academic answer sustainability i would you know i very much view as the sort of interaction between our environment and, and, and society and, and economy and how those three things interact and managing the trade-offs between those things. So that's sort of an academic answer. As far as sustainability and having children, I mean, this is something that I think is a really, you know, I spent a, a lot of time thinking about having children and is this something I wanted to do because I saw this graph on Facebook, which is possibly not the best place to be finding out information, but it was about the amount of emissions you produced if you didn't fly more than once a year or whatever. And not having a child was such a, a massive, such a, so, much, so much bigger impact on your sustainability than any of these other things. So, you know, and, and things like that, I definitely think about. But I also think that we need to have hope about what the future can look like. And the best way, I think, to show that we have hope is to produce that next generation and hopefully raise them in a way that is more sustainable. And I think even just looking at the recent climate marches by students is a super inspiring thing that will hopefully grow more and more powerful and and mean that we have a more sustainable future than we otherwise would have well Kirsty, i think this the academic life is is really just amazing uh, platform for for people to find resources to connect parents who who are really in need of those resources is there anything else you would like to to say about it um i guess i just well first of all i wanted to thank the uh the people who believed in the idea when it was just something floating around inside my head you know i really wouldn't have been able to do it without the advisory board and also um, the director of the Centre for Marine Socioecology, Greta Pessel, who provides some of the some of the initial funding, um, and also the the governor of Tasmania, who agreed to launch it before there was even a website to look at. I mean, that she, she doesn't know me from Adam, so that was a, quite a, a thing on her part to to agree to do that. So I guess that's the first the first thing, and the second is just to say, you know, if you know of anyone 
whether it's your students or colleagues who this might be useful to, please, please share it with them. And if you have ideas for content, let me know, because a lot of this is based on my experience and what I what I found useful. And obviously, that's not necessarily applicable to everyone. And so if there are other things that I haven't thought of or looking at things from a different angle, then please let me know, you know, get get in touch, because I really want to, as I said, make this uh, a resource that's useful to as many people as possible and that isn't marginalizing anyone even further. Yeah, well, we'll link to the website and the, the Twitter handle in, in the show notes for this. But is there other places where people can find more information either about you or, or about this project? You can link with us on, on Twitter at, um, at Academic Life. So that's spelled A-K-I-D-E-M-I-C, life um, on Twitter. And then otherwise they can also follow me on Twitter, which is I'm um, at Nasha K. Thanks, Kirstie. It's, uh, we really appreciate that you sharing your stories and uh, that you're doing this great work. Um, we really appreciate that. And thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Finding Sustainability podcast, please feel free to share it with friends, colleagues, and on social media. You can find us on Twitter at find underscore sust underscore pod, or you can visit our website www.essnetwork.net forward slash podcast. On the website, you'll find a content and guest request form. Here we invite you to submit recommendations for content and guests you would like to hear on the podcast. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and can also be streamed from our website. This podcast is part of the Environmental Social Science Network. For more information about the network and how to get involved, please visit our website, www.essnetwork.net. Thank you for supporting the podcast.